Hi, everyone. I'm Marquita Harris, the work and money editor for Essence, and welcome to Unbossed, a podcast for entrepreneurs, self-starters, and women who are about their business. When you think of the music industry moguls who've changed the game, rarely do you think of women executives. The men are usually the ones who get all the shine. What does it take to become a music industry mogul, particularly if you're a woman? Camille Yorick has no shame in her game. Beginning as an assistant to the legendary performance artist and director, Diane Martell. Now, pause for a second. If you're unfamiliar with Diane's work or her name, please pause this episode right now and Google her name immediately. As you'll soon learn, Camille's entry into the music business began with, as she describes them, those Super 8 filmed Mariah Carey videos. Yes, Miss Yorick was on the set of that legendary video that I'm not even going to say the name of because I know you guys know what it is. But she that's where her career started. And you're soon going to learn how she got there and where she went from there. But it's safe to say that Camille knew the value of hard work and perseverance from a very young age. As someone who loved all things creative in the arts, she found herself working with some of the best in the business. Now, Years later, she's the executive vice president of creative content at RCA Records, and this is where she makes boss moves with some of the biggest names in music today. So let's get into this very humble Camille interview. On today's episode, I have the lovely Camille Yorick. Hello. Camille is the executive vice president of creative content at RCA Records, where she also leads the video and content production department. As an award-winning video producer, she's worked with some of the biggest talents in music, from the recent 2019 Grammy winners Childish Gambino and her to John Legend and Lauren Hill. She was also nominated for a Grammy for her work on Beyonce's I Am World Tour documentary. Receipts, receipts, receipts. That's a little <laughs> to say it plainly, Camille is a powerhouse talent. She's climbed the industry ladder from an assistant to the top position, and she's here to tell us about her journey. Uh, welcome to Brooklyn, Camille. Thank you. Happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you for checking in. Go Brooklyn. <laughs> hey, and I know it's you know it's a little chilly outside. It's all good. <laughs> so, I want to know about your journey. I feel like uh, your role at RCA and just the role of producers in general, it's often one that we don't know about, but it's so essential and so crucial what you do. Yeah. But before we get into that, I want, I got another question for you. What was your first job? My first official job ever ever, ever, ever. was uh, Paragon Sporting Goods. Okay. I worked there during high school. Okay. You and know? you're born and raised in Brooklyn, so... I'm born and raised in Brooklyn. I grew up in East Flatbush. Okay. My family's from Guyana. I'm a, you know, immigrant kid. Yes, I didn't know that. Yeah. All right. So, uh, you know, it was all about work. I started early. Okay. The minute I had a worker's permit, I had a job. I was <laughs> so 15. Wait. Okay, that was my next question. How old were you? I was 15. I was 15, and, um, you know, my schedule at High school change. I went to Midwood High School, which is an awesome high school. Mm-hmm. Woody Allen's alma mater. Lots of people that More are amazing receipts. went there. More receipts. Okay. Yeah. So um, I would get out of school at like 2 p.m. and basically head on to the city to go work at Paragon Sporting Goods, which is right on 18th and Broadway. And back in the day. What did if, you do? What'd you do there? I was basically a salesperson. Mm-hmm. I started off as a cashier and then mm-hmm. I and I kind of grew into selling tennis clothing. Got you it. know, because I kind of mildly played tennis at I that time. I was just going to ask, were you into sports? I mean, I was. Okay. I definitely played tennis, but I was definitely not that great at it. But I definitely knew how to sell a cute tennis skirt. You know what I mean? So got it. I got a commission-based job doing that. So it was fun. You know, for three years through my, like, sophomore to senior year at high school, 
um, I worked at Paragon and had a couple of friends from high school that also worked there. So that was really fun. We had a little crew that we used to just go to work after school every day there. I love that. Um, that you were there for a few years yeah. because I don't, I have a lot of young like nephews and cousins and I just feel like in this age, those jobs like that, they don't, they don't really exist anymore. And you learn so much from them. Yeah. It sounds like you were probably a little competitive, especially if you were doing some sales and you were into sports. Yeah. I mean, I was not into competitive sports, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, my sister and I grew up kind of like in the time when New York wasn't so great. And our neighborhood was a good middle class neighborhood with but with a lot of perimeter problems Mm. with, you know, drugs and gangs and all that thing stuff. So my mom did a lot to kind of keep us out of trouble. So she kept us busy. Got it. We did talent shows and, you know, I learned how to play tennis and, you know, we we had jobs. You know, we just it was mostly about (laughs) keeping busy. Mm -hmm. I didn't actually think about it that way. I know what you mean about the competitive part. But when we were at Paragon, it was like so fun. Like, that's all I remember about it. Okay, it was fun. And I was able to make a little cash always a good thing yeah. um talent shows hold on yeah. so okay <laughs> i want to know more about that so you your mom had you doing talent shows so well was it music dance and, okay. i mean we kept busy like we were at you know we were like church kids that you know would organize with other church kids after church to like you know, come up with things to do. So Friday Mm -hmm. night, we'd, you know, put on a talent show at the church and we'd be rehearsing in our backyard for the, you know, whatever talent show. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a different time, Mm -hmm. you know, in New York. And I feel like a little bit of that is lost. We weren't on our phones or playing video games. And, you know, so we just did stuff to kind of keep ourselves busy. And we had sort of a certain level of creative acumen and interest um, you know, we're a Caribbean family. So mm-hmm. we're very like, we're carnival kids. We're used to pageantry and excitement. And, <laughs> you know, so we just kind of like use that energy to keep ourselves busy. It wasn't that deep. Mm-hmm. They were super low fi low rent. I mean, you know those are I mean? the best, co- like, best, yeah. yeah. But you remember there was, was a time where there was like, talent shows were like a thing. Yeah. There were like a lot of them. I'm I definitely sure remember putting some on like for, <laughs> for family, like at the reunions yeah. and a little, but um, I definitely was very much more into the behind the scenes aspects of things. <laughs> Did not like being out front. I understand. I like telling people, okay, no, no, no this is the formation that we got to go to. Like we should do this and do that. I get it. Um, And it sounds like you did have just, you know, some love of entertainment, you know, of course, as a kid. Yeah. What about, how did you get into the music business? Where did that kind of love come from? Um, well, actually, the music business proper came much later, like after college. But what happened with me was one of my dear friends, um, she lived in Park Slope and I used to be with her all the time. There was a friend of the family that was a dancer, performance artist by the name of Diane Martell. Mm-hmm. who was moving into doing more directing. And she was doing some like stage directing, like a little bit of choreography. Um, and she was looking for someone to work with her. And because Kate knew I was into creative and arts and such, she suggested me. Um, Diane and I met, we hit it off and she sort of mentored me for the, the next four years. Wow. Yeah. So I worked with her as a uh, director's assistant, um, you know, when she would do big choreography jobs, I'd be there to help her, you know. And you said, is this um, digging into some of the receipts? Because, you know, of course, I had to dig around and dig up <laughs> dig up a little bit of information. But is this, um, was there a connection to Mariah Carey? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. She and started were, Mariah. Yeah. She basically liked, you know, when Mariah got signed, she was a singer and Diane was 
tasked with like making her more of a performer. Well, like yeah. rounding her yeah. out. Yeah. And you worked with I worked with her. Diane. You worked with so, the woman who rounded out Mariah Yeah, Carey. basically. And then when Diane started directing her videos, um, she directed like Dream Lover and a bunch of other ones. I was like there See, with Diane as her assistant. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, all of those Christmas videos, I remember shooting them up in um, the Bronx, you okay. know. Like, wait, 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 wait. Chris, Christmas videos. Like the Mariah that. Christmas videos. So wait, hold all on. All those videos that are shot on like Super 8, those cute ones. Back up. I feel like you've already, even the beginning of your career as an assistant, you've touched, you've been, you know, associated even as an assistant with some really groundbreaking, iconic moments. Yeah. Do you pat yourself on the back? No. No? No. I Were mean, it's just, I don't think about <laughs> it that way. That's so crazy. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for the past that sort of led me to where I am, mm-hmm. but I didn't, it, I wasn't conscious. Like, I was just sort of doing it. I was like, great. Because the first time I worked with Diane Mariah Carey, I was there for 20 minutes and she gave me $100. I was like, this is, this is amazing. This like, is more than Paragon. <laughs> this is more than like, I made I'm up in. Here. Like, call me later. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was like, sort of blindly moving through it, which I think was probably better. Like I I wasn't overthinking at that moment. I just knew that Diane was obviously exposing me to things that could be valuable for my future. And I I was aware of that part and I was grateful to have that. So I was sort of more focused on just making sure I did a good job for her. Mm, What, and what did that entail as an assistant? Various things, um, research for her, um, you know, anything from putting together, helping her put together like cast lists, um, helping her cast, driving cast around. We worked on a couple of documentaries where I literally had to just drive a van, you know, drive a bunch of rambunctious <laughs> kids around in a van. Um, I remember one job where she asked me to go get a pig's head, you know, and I had to go down to the meatpacking district well, when right. it was still a meatpacking district. Well, yeah. And buy no, it, it was 99 cents a pound. Not. I never remember. I never forget that. The pig's head. <laughs> Wait, so, what was this for? So it was for? It was for a hip hop video. And she used to do really like random things in videos that, yeah. you know, I, I'm not even going to go into it. Um, you know, I want to know what video but she did sent me to find head? a head and I found it. It didn't make the cut. <laughs> FYI. <laughs> But that head Got was it. there. Got it. <laughs> if, if said head was required. Do you remember, um, can you say what video it was, even though it didn't make the cut? I don't remember the name of the group. It was like a young hip hop group. They were young. And it wasn't like the youngsters, but there were a lot of like young kids doing hip hop. Mm-hmm. Like it was like, you know, 90s. And I don't remember what, even what phase of the 90s, but Got somewhere it. in the 90s. Speaking of um, music and the 90s. What kind of, what's your relationship like with music personally? Growing up, what did you listen to and how, like, what kind of informed, you know, your taste, so to speak? Well, that's interesting. I mean, I listen to everything and I know that sounds cliche, but, you know, my family was from the Caribbean. So obviously, like, at home, there was a lot of soca. My dad was a big record collector. Mm-hmm. He had one of those man caves with a full bar and, you know, DJ set up with a reel to reel, like the whole thing. So like, so he had so much music down there, everything from Sam Cooke to Bob Marley. And, you know, weekends were all about music in the house and we listened to a lot. And then when I was really young, my brother went to um, the Navy and he was stationed in Korea and he would send me like music. He sent me the first Walkman ever, wow. you know, when it like was just a little cassette tape thing. Yeah. And um, records by like Yvonne Element and all these people I'd never heard of and sort of exposed me that way. And then, to be honest with you, MTV came along and just blew and, out. Yeah. And I was such a barred kid. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed to go anywhere that, you know, a lot of my time was spent just like consuming music videos. Yeah. And that was, you know, even before I got super diverse, there was just like a lot of music on there that I'd never heard and I was just into. So. So as in your position now where you're, you know, overseeing these 
creative projects that are essentially impacting and just influencing so many younger generations. What was one of the first music videos that you saw that really just made you say, wow? Um, wow. Or even, uh, any kind of react. What I was have the, to say, the one like, you had the biggest my, reaction yeah, to? the thing, like, the, the period in music videos that I loved, honestly, because mm-hmm. I'm a fan, was Janet Jackson. Like, when <sighs> yes. she came out with Control video, yes. and, you know, all those videos, like, I was, like, in. I was, like, oh, my God. And then she was, like, little thick girl yeah. with a booty with and, you know, bo- she was killing it. And, you know, you know Rhythm Nation. Like, I was, like, wow, you yeah. know. And... You know, I know she blew me away a lot more than Michael did, to be mm-hmm. honest. You know, I just connected with Janet a bit more. Me too. So I would say that that they she had a heavy influence on me. Got it. Yeah. Yes. I love a Janet. I love a Janet stand. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of partial. I'm a little biased. I mean, she's a special but, creature. Yeah. She's amazing. So now and I mean, you ended up graduating um and the kind of degree, I know you went to uh, college here mm-hmm. in New York. I and the, the kind of degree that you got for the job that you have now, are they related? Yeah. And what was the degree? It was, um, it was film and communications. And it was a degree from New York Institute of Technology. Okay. One of the reasons I had gone there was, number one, I wanted to stay in New York because I was already working with Diane and around doing different things. I didn't want to lose the opportunity by leaving and going mm-hmm. on campus in another state. Um, and then, um, you know, I'd gone to visit the campus in the city, which is in Columbus Circle. It's still there. It's on like Broadway and 60 something street. But they had a full TV um, studio with a green screen. And, you know, they pitched you on this whole thing. You'll learn how to do camera switching and all this great stuff. So I was like, OK, I can do this. And, you know, it wasn't as expensive like mm, as NYU or any true. of those other schools. I mean, because okay. college tuition is real. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, my parents, like, they paid for the first year. But after that, they were like, mm, you, you better get the loans up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I do like to ask people this because as someone who dealt with student loans mm-hmm. and, to be frank, is still dealing with student oh, loans. I get it. Did you have to take loans out for, I did. for college? I did. Did you? Do you regret it? No. Okay. I do not regret it. How long did it take you to pay them back? Or are you still paying them back? No shade, no judgment if you are. No, (laughs) I'm not paying them back. (laughs) But I also, I spent conservatively, I would say, on my education, but because I was getting so much elsewhere, you know? I was getting a supplemental education by working with Diane. And then I also worked at Ernst & Young as an accountant to make more consistent money. You know, it was basically like, data entry mm-hmm. i'm giving myself too much credit with the account that's word, okay but, but i mean it is what you know yeah but i was just trying now. to figure out how to get as many checks as possible number one to help pay for my expenses because outside of tuition as you know it's books <laughs> it's food it's, it's transportation it's, it's like yeah. college is a it's, it's a grip it's, it's a lot <laughs> it's a lot yeah. yeah so um yeah but it was it worked out and i was always very like i don't know conscientious because even when I was 16, I found this program where I could go and like intern at, um, I interned at CBS News okay. in my teens when I was still in high school, which was great because before that I thought I wanted to be like a broadcast journalist or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And then I took the internship and I was like, wow, this is whack, you know? <laughs> and, funny. uh, I don't know. I'm having <laughs> a flashback for, for a tiny little minute. I toiled with broadcast. I could see and, that. But here we are. You're doing it. I, I mean, which is kind of crazy yeah. because I'm very behind the scenes and mm-hmm. I've been like that for a while. So mm-hmm. the fact that we've kind of 
and you have <laughs> a lovely face, this. but it's like, you know, thank you. It's that's like, really, that's so sweet. Podcasts are great because it's like, I'm just, we still behind the scenes, <laughs> now we're behind the mic. But <laughs> so, okay. So you kind of got, you had the opportunity, you were still making money, mm-hmm. you were in college, but you were pursuing you know you were in pursuit you were pursuing your dream it sounded like yeah well I always planned when I got out of college to try to find a job Mm -hmm. that was you know much more stable I mean I loved the work that I was doing with Diane and I was making I was making decent money for you know where I was at in life um but my my goal was to like get out of school and like do something like official like proper yeah you know but it it, I I mean again like I've just been really fortunate and Mm -hmm. I don't know I always like credit my mom because she prays a lot she does all of that I feel like I get her blessings but um we were on a Mariah Carey set I think it was that song anytime I need a friend or something like that I I just love these drops I love these I love these drops I love that you you know these backstories to these iconic moments And I'm, you can see I'm trying to get you to be like, yes, girl. Like I was, I'm not giving you any sizzle though. I'm just, (laughs) I'm just doing time stamping. That's all. (laughs) I love it. I'm going to feel so old when this interview's over. No, 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 no. I just um, love these receipts. Yeah. So the head of music video for Columbia, which is where Mariah was signed at the time, Mm -hmm. was on the shoot. And she'd kind of like dealt with me a few times dealing with Diane and whatever. And she really liked me. And she came up to me and she said, listen, you know, I know Diane's not easy. If you can work with her, you can work for anybody. Do you want to come work for me? So that's how I ended up going to a, a record company. Got it. So, I mean, I was like in the minority where the I graduated from college on Saturday. I started my first job in music at uh, Columbia on Monday. Wonderful. Yeah, that's... I got really fortunate. And that was just an assistant job working for Lee Rollins is her name, who was running the team at that time. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. So how did you get uh, the position that you're in now? Mm-hmm. It sounds like it, of course, there's, you know, some a corporate aspect. So there's a very, um, that left brain, right brain, yeah. you're making these big decisions, but it's also creative. Yeah. Like, how did you get to this place? That's what I want to know. Yeah. I mean, that's <clears throat> been sort of my gig for a couple, couple of decades now mm-hmm. is sort of being the conduit between art and uh, commerce, you know, and being able to speak both, both languages, which you know, I've come to know now is, is kind of rare, mm-hmm. but for me, it, I don't know. It's just, I feel like people are who they are. And as you go on in life, you kind of learn what your strengths are. And, you know, I just happen to, for what I do with music videos, trying to shepherd projects, get artists to convey their vision, find the right people for them to collaborate with and kind of make sure that that vision is executed properly in a way that suits the artist, but also in a way that's responsible fiscally for the company and all that stuff. It's just what I've always done, you know, because I've played so many different parts in the process, whether it be working with Diane to like data entry at Ernst and Young, like I kind of just get all of it Mm -hmm. for some reason. And, you know, I just try to make it happen. It's not, you know, my success rate is great, but obviously we all have our failures and and there's some days where I don't feel like talking about money. You know, if I could give up <laughs> one part of the Got conversation, it. that would be it. But it's, yeah. you know, part of the job, you know. So you talked about, you know, successes and failures. Uh, can you tell me about a time where you felt like you failed and how you overcame that? Um, well, failure for me sometimes is if you put a lot of effort into a creative project mm-hmm. and then for whatever reason, the outcome is not, it doesn't work you know, and then you just kind of have to say, you know what, this isn't, we're not going to release this or it's not going to come out or whatever, what it could be for 
a plethora of reasons. Yeah. That happens in media a lot. Too. Yeah. It's yeah. just, you know, you, you put this effort into it, you think you've thought it through and, you know, just for some reason it just, you know, and then when it's, when for whatever reason it doesn't work out, I feel like it's hindsight can be a little bit more clear mm-hmm. where you're like, oh, well, I should have done this. I should have seen that, you know, so. That's happened from time to time in my career, for sure. And that always is annoying. That had to be humbling. So was there a moment where that made you, that did it make you feel insecure about anything? Or did it, how did you overcome that feeling? Or was it just like, okay, done. I think there was a time in my career when I felt insecure. And it was mostly, a lot of it was due to the state of the industry. Because there was a time where everyone's like, record labels are over, music business is dying, we're not making any money. Like, it was in a nosedive for quite Mm -hmm. some time. And then trying to find your way in that. And I had, like, bossed up and, like, left Columbia, you know, after 12 years there to try to, like, make it on my own. But, you know, freelancing is really hard. Yeah. You know, and and it was really challenging. and, um, And I really enjoyed the freedom part of it. But I didn't feel that was, like, the most... Um, productive time in my life because you think, oh, I'm going to go do all these things and set up all these projects and whatever. But you're really just stressed out trying to make money every day and pay Mm. your rent and all your bills and whatnot. So that's real. I respect people that are entrepreneurs and that can really sustain that. I feel like, you know, not to get all political, but I feel like from government top down, I think there should be a way to provide more support for those people, whether it be tax breaks or incentives, loans, like all the things that, you know, you need to build a business that helps build up our country and our economy. And you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I just feel like it's overlooked. So off the soapbox. now. (laughs) No, get back on. Like, (laughs) well, those are conversations that I think it's important. And I've been there, like Mm -hmm. in terms of being a freelancer and everything from health insurance to, again, your taxes. Yeah. And just going through that entire just whatever that is it can just be a mess and i do think like you said there needs to be more support and particularly now because we we're definitely in the space where a lot more especially for black women Mm -hmm. they're in um you know very much involved in the gig economy so they're doing a lot of they're pursuing their passions but they're also doing a lot of other work on the side and because they have you know you got to pay bills yeah and like you said the day-to-day grind of freelance it's hard because you're trying to you're you're trying to figure out how you can, you know, sustain yourself. Yeah. So not a soapbox. It's you like have all this free time, but it's not relaxing. <laughs> it's not re- yes. Because you got to kill what you eat. Yes. Yes. Um, so I've had a lot of friends uh, who worked in the music biz um, and just in various kind of corporate kinds of aspects for a while. And none of them are in this business anymore. They've all kind of gone into different industries. And I've heard just a lot of stories about just challenges, uh, whether that's being a woman, a black woman. And I'm just curious, has there ever been a moment during your career where you felt the weight of gender or race in your in the business where something has ever impacted, you know, whether it's your an experience, one experience, or if you felt like you would have risen quicker or I mean, I'm conscious of it. Again, I feel like it's such an individual thing. And I also think music is one of those spaces that's kind of unique in that um, your race can be an asset. Yeah. You know, back when I was like starting out, I used to joke with friends like, you know, like there was just a crew of people at our company then that. You know, we just knew how to talk jive. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, I'm using an old reference to make a joke, but it's <laughs> like, it. yeah. Um, 
I think it's important for us to be represented in that space because those are the people that we're speaking to and selling to. And that's never changed. People want to acknowledge now that, oh, you know, hip hop is making so much money and, every, you know, the counterculture has become over counterculture. But it was always popular. Mm-hmm. You know, it always was. And there was always a market for it. And black people have always spent money on things. Um, and then in terms of the gender thing. I've been very fortunate, whereas like my first real proper job in the industry was with a woman mm, whose who's number two was a woman. And when she left that lead role, she was replaced by another woman. You know what I mean? So I've had really strong influences in my life when it comes to male corporate figures like the Donnie Einers and the Tommy Matolas. Look them up if you don't know them. Mm-hmm. However, I've always had like a community of women that I've been working directly with. So I think that that's made it a little bit, if I'm honest, I feel like that's made it a little easier for me. That's great to hear though. Yeah. So it sounds like women have played a, you know, just Huge. having that. Wow. Huge role. They, it's, I, you don't hear that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, I am curious. So as a producer, I'd imagine that you have to really be an advocate for your own ideas mm-hmm. and to really, um, to fight for your ideas. Mm-hmm. Is there, has there ever been a moment where you kind of had to like, let your, show your muscle and flex on people, so to speak? Yeah. I mean, they're <laughs> called executive decisions, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, um, I don't know to what scale you're talking about, yeah. because I think on a, a scale basis that happens every day, all day, gotcha. where I have to kind of just put my foot down about things or, um, you know, there are situations where I'm on a lot of email threads. I don't know about you, but I'm on them constantly. And I can see from a creative standpoint, (laughs) it's like you send something out, you get feedback, people write their comments in the email. You know, it's like I could see where the trend is going on the conversation with any particular, you know, content project. And I'm sometimes I'm just like, listen, you know, after seven emails, I'm like, this is what I think, (laughs) you know, and and it can it usually moves the needle. But that's kind of my job. You know, I mean, I don't have all this experience for no reason. You know, Mm -hmm. I am I do feel like there is a certain level of education that I do every day because the artists that we're working with are, are new to this business. You know, they do come with a little bit of that. I know I know some of them more than others just because of the world we're in with technology and information. But I think that, you know. Most teams, meaning artists, managers, everybody appreciate just sharing, you know, knowledge. So I have a lot of knowledge that I can offer and, you know, you can choose to take it or not, but I'm definitely going to let you know how I feel. Yes. Mm -hmm. Got it. So it sounds like you are, you have no problem being vocal and letting, you know, and just being upfront and honest and transparent with your team. Yeah. I mean, I think so. And I obviously like my job outside of just running my team is a project by project basis. And Mm -hmm. every project comes with its people, you know, personalities and, um, you know, different protocols, you know, some artists tend to be much more direct and, and, and informational about what they want. Some artists are more like, well, let me see, let's get stuff in and Mm -hmm. take a look. Like I just curate the process for whoever I'm dealing with. Mm. It's all different. Um, earlier you did mention something, you know, about newer artists and kind of like the effect of like the digital age, social media. Yeah. And it reminded me of while, of course, digging around, trying to do a little research on you, oh, trying Lord. to get these receipts. No, don't say, oh, Lord. <laughs> it's exactly the opposite. <laughs> I love this because you have kind of like very limited to no 
social media presence. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if that was a, you know, a personal decision or if it was a professional one, given your industry and the kind of work you do. It's a personal decision. Mm -hmm. I'm just not that flexy. Yeah. I wish I I could have, I kind of have a love-hate relationship (laughs) with social media. And I think in the beginning it was a lot of fun. And now it's like, "Mm," it kind of feels like, it feels forced or whatever. But I like kind of, just kind of seeing how people treat social media now yeah. because everybody has a different approach yeah and i kind of as much as personally i love the fact that you that i couldn't find a lot because i'm like yes girl like just don't be out here and professionally i'm like okay i want to snoop around and get, <laughs> and get yeah. some facts and receipts <laughs> and i can't find any um but i kind of I, I don't know just kind of curious like if you felt um if you've ever felt pressure to reveal more or yeah i mean i post yeah I mostly post on IG, but my IG's private. Yeah. I mean, what I found is that um, you know, I, I'm in a I'm in a buyer position. So like a lot of people come to me because they want something. Like, you know, there's a director that wants to get a job or a production company. And, you know, so it's like, um, you know, I've had a lot of random people when my my IG was open, like jump on and then like not DM me nonstop. And you know what I mean? It's like I I understand all of this and the whole social media landscape. And I totally get it. I just personally feel way too exposed, Mm. especially considering what I do when, when, um, when I'm using social media, you know, it's just for your friends and, you know, you want to stunt and, you know, yeah. yeah, Show people like what's, you know, a little bit of what's going on with you. Cause people always like, we love when you post, you know? And I'm like, yeah, well, like, it's like, cause I don't post a lot. You get it every, (laughs) you get it once every couple months. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, but it's a total individual thing, you know? Okay. I want to post more, to be honest. I just, I think too much about it. Yeah. Okay. And once you start looking at the picture, taking what's what you're going to put on it, mm-hmm. and then I'm like, whatever. <laughs> the fun is gone. Now the I fun's just moved past it. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll do oh, a later gram, and then that never happens. I'm gonna send this picture to a friend. <laughs> I'm gonna put this on the group thread. <laughs> um, what advice do you have for Black women that want to do what you do for a living? Um. I think you need to be open to learning Mm. um, and exposing yourself to people that you can observe and learn from. Um, And I I always feel like in some way, shape or form, that always includes interning, you know, working for free Mm -hmm. where there's no pressure. And that's why when kids hit me up and they're like, oh, can I hit intern on this shoot or whatever? I'm like, sure. Whether it be my team members or whoever, like, you want to come be a PA, mm-hmm. you know, really learn from the ground up what what music video production, content production, film production really looks like, mm-hmm. because they all are very similar in terms of process, hierarchy. You know, production assistant is the low man on the totem pole. You're the first one there in the morning. You're the last one there at night picking up garbage, sweeping up. You know what I mean? But that's how I started. But the thing about it is, is like when you're when you don't have like um any kind of pressure on you in terms of like what your position is on a particular set, you can really observe, learn, you know what I mean? It gives you an opportunity to really get a foundation. And mm. I feel like a lot of kids these days, like they try to skip steps <laughs> and I'm not saying you got to be a PA for 10 years, but it's like, you should know what a PA does. Definitely. You actually should know what it is. Cause I mean, I could ask some, some of these kids that say they want to be directors and they may not even know what a production assistant is. Got it. So is there a moment that you can remember when you were first starting out as a PA where 
you were maybe picking up garbage or getting coffee or something and it made you made you feel humbled I've always been humble though yeah I don't I don't there's no transition back to that yeah. like I've never been like like the entitled thing is not really my disposition mm-hmm. I I I'm very confident in who I am because I know I've worked you know what I mean? Man. Yeah. You know, there's nothing like that. Cause I don't, you know, nobody could tell me, nah, you know what I mean? Because I have put the time in and I didn't, like I said, I was really not planning this out. I mm. didn't plan to work with Diane and, you know, get into Columbia. It just all kind of happened. I gotcha. So I, again, I literally, you know, and that's my mom and my dad and the way I was raised, which I think is so impactful on who you turned out to be. Um, I was always taught, like, if you don't work, you, you, you're not going to get what you want, period. Like, mm-hmm. if you don't work for it. So I've always been about, like, am I doing a good job? You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. more my position. Like, I just want to know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm curious. The name of the podcast is called Unbossed. Mm-hmm. And I like to ask everyone, what does it mean to you to be unbossed? In terms of being bossed, um, you kind of, you unbossed, excuse me, you go through your life on your own terms, you've achieved a certain level of success and you've pretty much shown people that you're fearless. And I think whether or not, whether or not you want to say or admit it, that's fine (laughs) because I know you're very, very humble. Um, You have shown that you do things on your own terms and you have definitely achieved a level of success. I think a lot of people admire. Um, And, but it's been, you know, it's, you've kind of done it in a very fearless way. So that's what Unboss is to us. And that was kind of the foundation for, for the podcast and mm-hmm. just um, con- the conception of it. Yeah. So to me, you are embossed. Okay. And so for, for the record, like yeah. I'm a super low key person. I you can ask it. my colleagues at work. You can ask my chairman. That's how they, <laughs> it. you know, Camille's low key, but you know, she's, she does what she does. You mm. know what I mean? That's just how I am. I've never been that. Cause yeah. I have there's so many people around me that, that are sucking air not, like yeah. i'm good I just, i'll be over here on the side <laughs> got it so you're def- so fame is not no reality tv show based on your life no, no. oh my god god bless them that and their like, checks if they need it it sounds like your no mona scott show no nothing it's, that sounds like almost your worst nightmare i mean i'm not ever gonna be on a reality show in front of the camera mm-hmm. i don't really see that for myself i got you i think my future is is pretty sorted so um knowing what on boss means and you know being able to kind of interpret that however you need to mm-hmm. is there a woman in your life that you admire famous or not mm-hmm. who's unbossed from the famous side of things i love serena williams mm-hmm. only because i you know i play tennis mm-hmm. and you know i'm obsessed with her and i i love her tenacity you know i love her you know no f's given you know what i mean like yeah. i just i'm not been watching those girls since they were kids you know so for me i when i'm because my husband and i travel a lot for you know vacation and we'll play tennis like that's one of our things that we do wherever we go we look for a tennis court and when people are like oh you hit just like serena i'm like really <laughs> <laughs> but then you. she's also a business woman and you know she's so so many great things about her got it you know, so I I really find her inspiring and I love that she's just out there being a fierce brown girl, mm. you know? Yes. I yes, mean, a fierce brown girl. That was a layup, but that's how I feel. No, no. Serena is, I mean, you could, <laughs> a lot, I think a lot of people just like the go-to for successful black women mm-hmm. is always Oprah, mm-hmm. which I don't, that's great too. I think, you know, wherever you find inspiration is valid. Yeah. So Serena is 
definitely valid. Yeah. Janet Jackson is definitely valid. Yeah. <laughs> These are icons in yeah, there. Definitely. You know, I think we draw inspiration from wherever we can. And it's, yeah. It I mean, I love Oprah too. Yeah. I love that she exists. Yeah. I think we have a lot of really great um, people to aspire to. And I also feel like now is a great time for us in general, mm-hmm. you know, as, as, as people of color. And I, I'm not speaking just about black people, but like, you know, whether you're Asian or Latin or whatever, I just feel yeah. like there's such like a, and mostly to be honest with you, cause I'm not an altruist. It's a business imperative. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like if you are in business doing anything, you cannot afford to just speak to one group of people, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. be successful. It just is not, it's not sustainable. Not the time. Yeah. Not the era. Thank you for coming on. Special thanks today to our guest, Camille Yorick, who I appreciate so much for getting out of her comfort zone and just sharing her story. And guys, please don't forget to let us know what you think about the podcast. And please don't forget to rate, comment, and subscribe.